0: Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. Uh, This is Matt Brewer, I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm sitting with Morgan Zeller. Uh, Morgan's been part of the church from day one, it seems like, runs women's ministry and has all kinds of things going on around here. Uh, Married to Dan and mother of three beautiful children. Um, So we're going to take a little bit of time and kind of talk through John 2. Uh, the intention of this podcast, we're going to use it internally, primarily, just to help with some things in our church. It's kind of a, another mode of communication, um, and so you'll see all sorts of different content that comes through this podcast, but today uh, we're looking at John 2, so we're, we're a few weeks into studying John, um, and we're going to spend, I think we all total, we'll spend 28 weeks in the book of John, so that's pretty quick. Clip uh, to go through. There's 21 chapters. We're spending 28 weeks there. So because there's so much that we, so much in each chapter that we're just not going to be able to get to, we're going to try to start putting some, uh, some podcasts like this out regularly. So the intention for today is just to kind of walk through the text together, to talk a little bit, and the aim, Morgan, for us is to. Uh, Yeah, just have a conversation about John 2 that other people can listen into. Uh, Morgan is a great expositor of the Word um, and has a great love for the Word. She's been crazy encouraging to me over the last, goodness, six years we've known each other and walking through Bible study together. So I love doing this kind of thing. So, um, if you have not read John 2 recently, I'd encourage you to pause the podcast, go back and read John 2, particularly verses 13 through the end of it. Um, the sermon was really on verses 1 through 11, and so we're kind of picking up from there. So, uh, here we go. Morgan, let's, uh, let's talk John 2 just a little bit. We've talked, um, we've been kind of talking a little bit, but let's, let's kind of circle back around to those things as we read Uh, What are some things that you see? What are some things that jump out at you? And then we'll just kind of bounce back and forth off each other a little bit.
1: Yeah, sure. The first thing um, I noticed, and we talked about this earlier, is just that I was just really confronted with Jesus' behavior. Um, That From the get-go, it just was shocking because this isn't your Western stereotype Jesus, you know, which a lot of times we think he's this gentle, carries a lamb under his arm and a child under the other. And here we have this almost angry revolutionary Jesus that we're confronted with. And yeah. so um that's the first thing that stood out to me is that we have to recognize there's there's a full gamut of his character. It's not just this kind of whitewashed version that we've made of him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love the the pushback against the soft-hand conditioned hair <laughs> Jesus that we that we see here. For sure, it's good. Um yeah. What else? What do we see? Um, so in the, the passage, I mean, this is the Passover. This is the first Passover that John records for us. There'll be there'll be two more. I think John records three Passovers um, in his gospel. So they're in the Passover. They're at, they're at the temple, and Jesus uh, kind of comes into this into the temple and takes over. Yeah. <laughs> in a sense.
1: Yeah, and the scene that he walks into is kind of a chaotic market from what we can gather. And it's in the temple, the place of worship. And so um, obviously he's upset by this because he's expecting to come into prayers and psalms and you know silent um, meditation, if you will. And he comes into money changers and animals in the temple being sold for sacrifices. And so his reaction is, is one of zeal and of righteous anger and a lot of times that's what we hear you know from this passage is this righteous anger that that comes out of it um but jesus obviously is upset that there's not the right form of worship going on in the temple
0: yeah um yeah you, you think of what is happening in if you're not familiar with the temple i'd encourage you to go Um, you could do a quick Google search for that and get kind of this overview of the temple. Um, And this is happening. It looks like this is happening in the court of the Gentiles. Um, And and you go back and study what, what the, why even the court of the Gentiles existed, right? For the Gentiles to be able to come into the temple. They, they couldn't go in um, further into the temple, but there is a provision for them to come in. And this totally neglects that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, yeah, it, it upsets Jesus enough to, like, like you said, to for him to see and to understand what should be versus what is, and and what is warrants, uh, yeah, some anger and, um, yeah, to to do all the things that he does.
1: Yeah, and I think too. I mean, we were talking earlier that even just looking at what the temple initially was, looking back at Solomon's dedication of the original temple, he talks about the court of Gentiles there, that foreigners could come to the temple and call on his name and make his name known. And so that this place has been run over um, and taken over by a marketplace infuriates Jesus, that Mm -hmm. the nations no longer have a place to come and call on his name. They don't have a place to worship because this marketplace is there
0: yeah well we keep going and we look in like in verse 18 so the jews said to said to him uh, what sign do you show us for doing these things so jesus comes in uh basically messes himself up he runs the animals out he's flipping some tables over he pours out the uh the coins of the money changers um and then their response to him i think is interesting so the jews said what sign do you show us for doing these things uh, and Jesus answered them in verse 19. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Um, yeah, what's going on here?
1: Yeah, well, in the next verse, too, Jesus says, uh, the Jews said it took 46 years to build this, and this is the temple that Herod would have built. And so it's been rebuilt, and obviously they're, you know, incredulous that he would make the claim that you could rebuild it in three days. This is a phenomenal sign to them. Yeah. Um, but— John, being the writer that he is, lets us in on Jesus's meaning here, and that Jesus is referring to his body. And so we're seeing that um, even the language that John drew on in chapter one, where he said that Jesus dwelt amongst us, is the word tabernacle. And so we have this idea of God's glory dwells in the temple. And here it is, in a human body, Mm. in the temple, doing the rightful thing to restore rightful worship, to cleanse the temple. And so we see this Old Testament type, the temple, fulfilled in Jesus. And so we have the new temple, the new order has arrived on the scene. And, uh, yeah, just some really exciting things there.
0: Yeah, we talk about this quite a bit. Of um, It can be easy easy to say, man, if we just were there, if we could just see this stuff happen. But I think in a lot of ways we have the best seat in the house in that we have— so much to look back over, and that we can we do see these things um, play out for for what they are. And and in um, we were talking about this earlier in this in John, uh, really two, three, and four, we have this Cana cycle that John is making a case, right? And the case is this: is that uh, the new has come. And so earlier in the chapter, we see this new wine provided by a better bridegroom here we see the old temple is being replaced by the new temple right of that jesus talks about he talks about this new temple that you tear this temple down and i'll rebuild it in three days talking about his body which is really the fulfillment of the old temple and this this um inauguration almost of the new and then later in john three where we're going this next sunday we'll talk about new birth and new creation uh, in John 4, you talk about new water, this living water, and new worship. There's so much that goes with this that we can see with uh, uh, kind of like watching the football game on the jumbotron, you know, rather than sitting on the front row. Uh, it's just an incredible thing to look at and to study. Um, another thing that I think that we see, we are just... Um, Not too long ago, we were studying the book of Malachi together uh, this summer. Um, And if you remember back in Malachi chapter 3, it says this, Malachi 3, chapter 1, it says, uh, or chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Uh, it goes on It talks about him like a refiner's fire and a fuller soap he'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he'll purify the sons of Levi and will refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in in righteousness to the Lord Um, I think this is that of the very thing that we talked about in this minor prophet that happens several hundred years before this happens now the Lord uh, comes into his temple in this in this thing that's um, yeah that that functions as a signpost of his messianic claims. I think this is one of the signs of Jesus. It's not often uh, it's not often um, talked about that way in the Book of John, but I think this hits all the criteria for a sign, and that is a messianic signpost uh, for us to see and for them to see.
1: Yeah, and I think you know John even a couple of verses later in um, two twenty two he says that. When Jesus was raised, the disciples remembered what he had said. And so, um, you know, Jesus comes and appears to his disciples, teaches them how he's the fulfillment of all of scripture. And so we can read the Bible backward and forward also because of the Holy Spirit. And so even looking back one chapter to um, 1, 9 through 12, we have the same thing where it says that John says, you know, the, the true light came into the world, enlightened every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. As many as who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. And so here we see his Jewish people, Jewish leaders in the temple reject him, that he doesn't have the right authority or credentials in their minds to be able to make a scene like this in the temple. And yet here he is, the, dwelling glory of God in the temple, and they are rejecting him based on who they think he is, you know, not having that understanding. And so, like, even just as I read this, um, you know, and I was sharing this with you earlier, too, of just how so often I find myself identifying with those who are opposing Jesus in scripture, and a lot of times it's the Jewish leaders or Pharisees, and um, here, when they say, "On what authority do you do this? Show us a sign," I was just really challenged and convicted, and, and drew out application for my own life of how often I find my thinking about God or my prayers toward God being very much like that, where yeah. it's like, "Hey, God, just will you just give me a sign that I'm supposed to do this, or can you just like, you know, maybe make this work out this way?" And and like them, I find myself wanting to be able to control God. Mm -hmm. And wanting him to fit into my box and my criteria to to work things out the way I want or the sign that I want in order to make things work. And so, um, you know, when it says that many believed in him because of the signs which he was doing, but that he didn't entrust himself to them. I think this is partly why, because they were trying to minimize who he was and manage him by to show us signs, then we'll believe. Then we'll believe based on just who he was.
0: Yeah, yeah. Same thing. We talked about this. Of this, uh, D. A. Carson in his commentary references this and talks about this. This very domesticated, view or the view of a domesticated God that does provide signs whenever you want them to maintain your allegiance, instead of um, instead of your allegiance being to God because you see who he is. Yeah. Right, and it's different. So. Uh, if we if we bring this all the way home and say like, so what do we do with this practically? How does this affect us? It might change the way that we view God instead of constantly asking for these signs to maintain our allegiance. Maybe that looks different. What does that look like for us, for you or for me?
1: Yeah, I think, um, you know, as I look at this and just the character of God here is one of holiness, um, one of zeal. And so when I reflect on my way of thinking about him or relating to him. Like I said, it just really, for me, the takeaway is like, Lord, I confess, you know, and I repent mm. of the ways that I have tried to control you and manage you instead of worship mm. you. And so um, I think it's the takeaway for me is really just to come to my knees and just say, show me more of who you are, expand my understanding Um, blow away any preconceived notion I have of you, just even the fact that Jesus is shocking in this to me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that's what this passage does to my heart and my thinking.
0: Yeah. uh, My prayer consistently coming out of John, consistently studying John has been, Lord, help my unbelief. Yeah. Help my unbelief. It's so aimed at belief. Yeah. Um, and we see this, this word is used over and over again and here at the end of verse 22, and they, so they remembered what Jesus said and they believed. Yeah. And this is part of why John includes it, because they remembered what Jesus had said and it, and it affected their belief. And so often, I'm like you, Morgan, so often, it's like through the day or through just little things in life, it's like, God, just give me a sign what you want me to do. Give me a sign for this, give me a sign for that, give me a sign. Um, instead of my, my prayer recently in studying John has been, Help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. Help me to believe without a sign. Mm-hmm. Help me to believe because it's because it's what I see, Yeah, you know, in your word. Um, and that is a game changer mm-hmm. in that. And then there's other things that do reinforce that. Uh, there are some things that do show up as signs. And, and part of it is, like, the sign for us is that we're sitting here reading God's word in our own language. Right. In Noblesville, Indiana in 2020, and we're reading this in English and able to have a conversation about it. So look, in the last couple of minutes of this um, conversation, I want to change gears just a little bit. uh, And let's talk about some resources. So part of the aim for this Mm -hmm. podcast is just to help our church, people in our church, to be better students of the Word. Mm -hmm. So what helps you? What resources do you use? Um, And let's talk about that for three or four minutes, and we'll kind of wrap this thing up.
1: Yeah, I mean, you said part of the sign is that we have the Word here in English, but we also are living in a time where we have any and every resource possible to yeah. us. I mean, podcasts, websites, anything. And personally, um, when I really went through kind of a personal transformation and studying the word, I literally just started online with blueletterbible.org. And it's such a great resource, tons of commentaries. Um, you can access any translation of the scripture. And um, If you know how to use a lexicon, there's information there that you can look at languages, especially for somebody like me who doesn't have a seminary degree. That Mm -hmm. can be helpful to see that lexicon and kind of how those words are used throughout scripture. So that for me was a starting point. Now I like to have a hard physical copy of a commentary. Um, And there's actually um, on... um, Goodness gracious! The top commentaries of the whole Bible is available through Leganeer. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I would come up with That's it. I know where you're going. <laughs> uh, but and it gives you like four or five reviews of the top commentaries of the entire Bible, and so I really like that resource in knowing how to select a good commentary.
0: Yeah, for sure. A couple of commentaries, just so that you know, a couple that are that are very reliable that I'm using. Not just so you know, so whoever's listening knows. Um, uh, D.A. Carson has what that lists uh, yeah. on Ligonier. There's another website that's that's um, a commentary reference uh, site. Uh, D.A. Carson's commentary on John is referenced by everybody is really the leading commentary, one of the best commentaries on John. Um, so D.A. Carson's F.F. Uh, F. Bruce has a really good commentary uh, on John, either one of those two are good and reliable for anybody to grab and to work through. Um, I would also give a plug for Blue Letter Bible. Um, if you could go on there and this is really the easiest one to use to find a reverse interlinear. Um, if you don't know, if you haven't studied Greek at all, um, you can still use a reverse interlinear. And what it does is it takes, it takes what you're reading as an English translation and gives you the Greek. So it kind of, it's, it's kind of out of order in the way that it is in the Greek, but it, it reverses that, and it helps you to see when you're looking at a particular word. If you're trying to figure out what the word for "sign," you can go there and really easily um, have some help, yeah. in, you know, in understanding what's going on. Um, it, again, like I think the most helpful resource uh, in Bible study is want to. Yeah. It's want to. Um, you know, yes. whatever. I mean, we all we all have some drive. To learn more about whatever our particular hobbies are, whatever our particular even needs are, right? If you need to change the alternator on your car, you might not know how, but you can, you can go to AutoZone and buy the part. You can get on YouTube and somebody can show you. You can ask a friend. You know, it's just in some little practical ways like that. Bible study is the same way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the same way. So, um, yeah. And
1: I would just add on to that that any skill that we want to learn takes work, and it's not always fun even the things i love and i enjoy sometimes i'm ripping out rows and rows and rows of something i've crocheted and i want to cry but it's worth it because i know what the finished product is and so i would i would say the same is true for bible study that be willing to do the work knowing that god delights to answer that prayer to help you understand the word and give you a hunger for the word
0: yeah for sure that's good um Anything else? Let's see, we need to, you need to write faster, my man. (laughs) We need to promo service times. Yeah, so we're gonna wrap this up. It's gotten probably 23 minutes or so now, so be looking for, I would, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast uh, if you're listening to this. We're going to start putting out content quite a bit. We're going to use this as a consistent um, channel of communication. You'll catch some content like this. You'll catch some things going on about events that are happening. You'll catch, there's all sorts of things that are, uh, that are coming, uh, coming this way. Um, service time. So if you want to join us in person or online, we meet at 9 30 on Sunday morning. We'd love to have you. Uh, we've got restoration groups that are small groups that meet in homes all around, the, all around the community, all through the week. Uh, we'll help you get plugged in to that as well. So thanks for joining us and we'll catch you next time.